Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and I'm going to put every word into a hat, pick seven of them out, and somehow, even if they don't make sense, they'll be relating to this movie. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see how that goes. I bet you if we just pick seven words out at least one or two, you'd be like, yeah, that that makes sense in the middle of act two here. So, you know. Yeah, could be. Could be. There's a lot of uh, randomness going on. Or maybe not, you know, to, to give the filmmaker that we're about to talk about some credit. Not random per se, but tough to discern the purpose of maybe uh, stuff happening in this film. And what is that film? Well, in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we are talking about the movies of 1975, and we're here at the flop episode, the biggest flop, or at least one of the biggest flops of the year, and that is Listomania from writer-director Ken Russell, a biopic, I guess, sort of, about the composer Franz Liszt. Although, if you don't know anything about Franz Liszt, you won't learn anything from watching this movie. Uh, So you're telling me the... The uh, penis guillotine didn't happen in real life, Josh? Um, probably not. <laughs> but wouldn't it be cool if it did? Josh, <laughs> did you think it would take us 15 seasons of Awesome Movie Year to get to the words penis guillotine? I thought it would take 16 seasons. <laughs> <laughs> we got there one early, so. Yes, we did. Ken Russell made a lot of movies about composers, at least four that I can uh, list off here in this Listomania episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think one is enough for me. <laughs> yes, Ken Russell did. I think more than four. He made quite a few. This movie in particular was part of a deal that he had made with uh, Good Times Enterprises that was meant to finance a series of six films about the lives of composers. It began with his film Mahler, of course, about Gustav Mahler, which I've not seen and seems to be one of his lesser known films um, and possibly a more straightforward version of the the story of that person's life. And this was the second in that deal to uh, to make six films about composers. And it was the last. It did not get beyond that. (laughs) Dave, out of, uh, you know, you're the music guy. We know we've watched Listomania, but out of his films on Elgar, Delius, Tchaikovsky, and Mahler, how how uh, would you rate those for us in the order you want to see them? I want to see them all immediately. That's all I have to <laughs> At say. the same time, perhaps. On... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, one of Ken Russell's sort of uh, ongoing themes in films is not just composers, but movies about sort of tortured artists and the artistic process. And I think, In a lot of ways, like this film, using surreal imagery and strange impressionistic events to attempt to portray what the artistic process is like. Um, Yeah, I had read, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, I guess, inspired by the book uh, Natalita by Marie Diagolt, who is in this film as one of the characters. And it's interesting that you would read that book and get this movie course i didn't read that book so maybe it's as batshit as this film probably not yeah that's the sort of tell-all book by the woman who is his mistress and the mother of his three children as we sort of learn in in this film i feel like i learned a lot more from reading the wikipedia summary of this film than i did from actually watching it i read the wikipedia summary and i was like yep i was right this thing is batshit insane like if you read it it does 
the summary doesn't make sense either. <laughs> yeah, no, the movie is totally insane. And I think that's part of its appeal. I mean, if you like the movie, which seemingly maybe Jason, you and I didn't, but people do. And if you like this movie, and and from my experience, if you like any Ken Russell movie, the sort of over-the-top insanity of it is is the appeal. Well, then, um, then yes, this hits that for sure. It does. So it did not hit with audiences, however. Uh, unlike Ken Russell's other film of 1975, also starring Roger Daltrey, who here, of course, plays Franz Liszt, uh, just a few months earlier, he had released Tommy, the film of the Who's rock opera, which had been a big success, and he had enjoyed working with Roger Daltrey on that so much that decided to, to cast him in this film as well. But uh, this movie did not reach the heights of Tommy. I was trying to find some figures because other than reading lots of references to this movie being a failure, I couldn't find any hard numbers about that. Supposedly, the budget was somewhere between 600,000 and 1.2 million pounds, um, which is a big range. And I don't know what exactly the returns were box office wise. I do know that, as I said, the plan to make six of these movies ended and Ken Russell's relationship with that company, Good Times Enterprises, ended because this movie had not done well. And uh, I did find in one of the reviews that I picked up a reference to uh, this is in, in Boston <laughs> saying that by the time you read this review, Listomania will be concluding its very unsuccessful run. So already by the time this critic has seen the film, she knows that uh, no one is seeing it and it's about to close. So that's that's the best I can get about how it failed. Yeah. So David Putnam is the legendary producer over there at Good Times. And uh, it just sounded like every time that they tried to do anything um, you know, it was one of these projects that has kept expanding in scope and uh, the necessity for more money. And he kept having to raise more and more funds for it. And uh, it just um, didn't pan out. I saw a lot of quotes like, oh, and also Ken went off his rocker on this one and stuff like that. You know, like Ken just went crazy here. And I think Russell even might have said that at some point. Um, yeah, I feel like that applies again, at least from what I've seen to, to most of his work. Yeah. So in 1974, Josh Russell said he wanted Mick Jagger to play Francis because Liszt had been the first pop star. Right. Well, and that's mm. the idea here, of course. I mean, Roger Daltrey is in that same mode, a contemporary rock star. And the idea here is to tell the story of Franz Liszt, who lived in the 19th century and was well known as a composer, as well as a, a pianist, a performer, and to portray him sort of in the way that we would see pop stars, rock stars in the 1970s. And there's all these anachronisms and things like that. But I think that's cool. I mean, I think that's cool. I know, you know, back uh, in the day, Josh, we had a teacher, Mr. Baranoff, who always would tell us about how classical musicians, and we saw this in Amadeus too, when we covered that, sure. were yeah. kind of like rock stars. And, you know, uh, here his audiences is all like, you know, teenage girls like fawning over him and everything. So, you know, I, I think that's a fair equivalent. Um, I can't say for sure if Franz Liszt was a pinball wizard or not, though. Yeah, well, that's that's Tommy. But um, oh, OK, <laughs> he was. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in theory, I, I I like that idea and and it makes sense and it's a good way to approach this. But I think like everything in this movie, it's just so incoherent that you don't necessarily get that. And those scenes of the screaming girls and whatever could just as much be about Roger Daltrey being cast in the role or whatever. And I mean, I'm sure that is part of it, but it just all is so muddled 
that unless you read a lot of like background about what they were aiming for, you wouldn't necessarily understand that. And to that, Josh, I say, you better, you better, you bet. Thank you. Jason's <laughs> just going to continue naming songs by the who for the rest of this episode it might be all i can really offer to this episode we're going to be honest here ah fair enough so uh critics were very mixed on this not surprising this was a a pretty polarizing movie kind of a love it or hate it kind of thing but starting with the positive roger ebert said ken russell's listomania has little if anything to do with the life and music of franz list or of Wagner, Beethoven, Chopin, and the other unfortunates it tramples on the way to its manic conclusion. No, this isn't a biography, not even in the sense that Russell ravaged poor Tchaikovsky in The Music Lovers. It's a berserk exercise of demented genius, and on that level, I want to make my praise explicit, it functions and sometimes even works. Most people will probably despise it. To argue with Russell's extravaganza on any rational basis is clearly to miss the point. Russell is far, far beyond any vestigial concern with logic. And to tell the truth, I'm starting to like his movies more now that he's frankly running wild. Yeah, well, so, I mean, with that, when you and I were talking about this uh, earlier this week, I said, you know, and I I think I've said this on both our podcasts and on Dave's on uh, piecing it together, like, and I think we all feel this way. We'd rather someone take a big shot than just play it safe. And uh, you can't deny that Ken Russell took a big shot here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, I've only seen a few other Russell movies and I haven't seen any of his early work, which judging from like that Ebert quote might have been slightly more straightforward. Although a lot of what I read about earlier films of his, they they do sound almost as crazy as this. But the films of his that I have seen are all that kind of crazy ass big swing and i will say that i don't like any of them but i appreciate that they exist and that's kind of how i felt about this one too when i was watching this i just thought this would never get made today so i also like the fact that it could get made um although um i think the people at good times thought to themselves after this they won't get fooled again oh all right (laughs) but yeah i mean i feel like usually you know when we talk about these flops a lot of these are are these giant boondoggles where they spent way too much money on something and and it flopped and it does happen occasionally you know i think of something like babylon the damien chazelle movie from last year that is you know more coherent than this but is still that kind of huge swing that costed massive amount of money that a studio entrusted to this auteur and then it was just a, a giant failure. So it and, does happen. But I would go the other way because I I, I thought a lot about Baz Luhrmann while mm, watching this, the spectacle. Sure. And, you know, we know Elvis was a huge hit last year. Right. And so something like this can be a huge hit. And I think this is something we talk about, too, in other episodes, these big swings. I mean, we just talked about it related to Jaws, right? With Spielberg going insanely over budget and over his schedule. And that's the kind of thing that if the movie didn't hit properly, we would have remembered that one as a massive failure because you take that risk and it's kind of all or nothing. But I think we're also talking about a year right in the middle of New Hollywood where auteurs had all this power and, um, you know, the power was with the filmmaker at that time. Right. And I think also this this one with Roger Daltrey here and and coming on the heels of Tommy kind of connects to what we were talking about with Monty Python, where it's like this is the height of this sort of rock star power era and, you know, rock bands and 
record labels and stuff are all getting into the the movie business here and they see an audience for this kind of stuff and and this goes along with that theoretically i mean obviously not they just wanted to ride that magic bus right to okay. the uh bank jason's just got the wikipedia <laughs> list of songs by the who page open and is through them all. are you saying i don't know who songs josh I, i'm sure you do but uh you know you you've got them to hand there just just so that you can you know uh, are you acting like i'm not the seeker of mm -hmm. who songs mm -hmm. oh, no i'm saying you are the seeker of who songs because you're <laughs> oh. looking at a list of them so that one didn't work oh well let's move on so richard eater in the new york times was not as enthused he said ken russell blows up his colored balloons with ether they bob prettily and when they burst we pass out Listomania is the latest of his spangled flights of fancy. Fancy it is, but hardly a flight. It is a tiny, potentially appealing weed of a picture, absurdly dragged down by a mass of post-Beatles Rococo. For Mr. Russell, the shortest line between two points is a pretzel, preferably painted gold and doped. It is a pity. For the first half hour or so, Mr. Russell's treatment of Franz Liszt and Richard Wagner as the pop stars of their day is manic and extremely funny. Then it relapses into a noisy bit of pretentiousness in the manner of its predecessor, Tommy, full of flashing lights, satin spacesuits, chrome lucite furniture, and mock agony. Hey, Josh, when you get a pretzel at the mall, what's your go-to uh, dipping sauce? I mean, I like the, the honey mustard. Oh yeah, that's got to be the number one dipping sauce. I'm honey glad mustard. I I feel like anytime you ask me any question about food, it's just you're horrified. So I'm glad I could get the right no. answer to that one. Dave, you agree? Honey mustard? Uh, it's pretty good. I, I just like butter and salt on mine. You got to be careful. They oversalt those things. They do. Dave, uh, Dave can't eat pretzels though, right? Are those not anymore? Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. That's my old days. They don't make uh, <laughs> keto pretzels. You can make them at home. Nobody makes them at a place though. Hmm. Yeah. Well. well. Josh, I like that. Uh, obviously, I uh, I yes. like that. Uh, who, who whose review is this? That's uh, Richard Eater in the New York Times. Richard Eater of pretzels. Yeah, mm. or it might be Eater actually, but your pun works better that way. I I do agree with him though that the first half is far more. And Act Three, I I don't even know, bro. Just <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you, man. So yeah, I I mean I agree that that. As it goes on, it gets more like, what the hell are they even doing? And and furthermore, as it focuses more on on Wagner, the you know this the other who is also a very famous composer, also heavily fictionalized, played here by Paul Nicholas, and Ken Russell's obsession with the idea that Wagner's music was sort of an inspiration for Nazism, which uh, you know, not remembering every detail of of these famous composers, which is not my area of expertise. Watching this movie, so I was like. So did he know Hitler? Was he around then? But no, he died like six years before Hitler was born. But, but we, but I did know that Wagner was, you know, basically uh, influential in the Nazi thought process. Right. And that's true. But I feel like the way Russell focuses on that is so, I mean, it's so exaggerated, it, like everything in the film. But, but even if you love the style, I guess I felt like it got away from focusing on Liszt as the main subject of the film and started focusing on Wagner. And that is what I'm trying to tell Yeah, you. it's not called Wagneromania. Oh, that's a much worse title. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so finally, uh, and this is the review that talks about the movie already closing. So uh, Janet Maslin in the Boston Phoenix said, Listomania is horrible. Even I, 
a strong contender for the title of Ken Russell's biggest fan, am willing to concede that much. However, Listomania is also very deliberate, and therein lies its mystery. It makes no sense to accuse a man who populates his picture with four-foot Nazis and ten-foot phalluses of trying to cash in on Tommy's enormous success in the teen market. Nor is it helpful to label Listomania one big leap off the deep end, when its vulgarity and simple-mindedness are so persistent and so different from the quality of Russell's other work. The result is a succession of long, hysterical, but tedious set pieces with nothing but a lot of overbearing phallic and keyboard imagery to connect them. I mean, there's also a lot of boobs. There are a lot of boobs, yeah. She might have mentioned that later in the review. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's phallic and uh, breasts uh, uh, galore. And 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 a vaginal imagery as well, you know, oh, yeah. the giant penis and the giant vagina, you know, is an equal opportunity sort of thing. Yeah, going on he, there. he has like his own jimboree class in this <laughs> uh, giant vaginal tunnel yes. set piece there. Yes, indeed. So I would agree. I mean, having seen Tommy, like this is very similar to, from my perspective to Tommy. It takes a similar approach of being kind of abstract. It's focused on the music all the surreal imagery, a plot that you can't really follow, and Roger Daltrey at the at the core of it. So I, I don't know, you know, beyond Tommy, earlier Russell films, I can't say, but to me, these two movies connect pretty strongly. It sounds like you can see for miles and miles the similarities between Tommy and Listomania. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We got at least three more. I was just waiting for you to get to like the the B sides or something, you know, the, the bootlegs. Uh, yeah, you know, tell me about how uh, this song live at yeah. <laughs> some venue in 1981. Yeah. When I get when I get to like Mama's Got a Squeeze Box, you know, I mean that's still popular, but it's a tough one to fit into the the context of this. Episode. But you just did it. You just. Did well, it. I mean, I mean, I guess if he's running through uh, vaginas, that's a different type of squeeze box, right oh, there. So okay. you know, there you go. Yeah, that's good. So. Yeah, so this movie is crazy. Is something it is crazy, and 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 I agree with you. As we said, it's I appreciate the fact that it's so crazy, but it's not a surprise. I think most of the time when we do these episodes, it's like I can see why this movie was a failure, and it's not a surprise to me that this didn't reach the kind of audience that went to see Tommy because they love the Who. Yeah. Well, you know, we did talk about uh, Louis Boonwell and like some of his kind of surrealism. And, uh, you know, I mentioned like Un Chien Andalou, which is like a classic, but that I think was like 18 minutes. Right. And I felt like this at 18 minutes would have been like amazing. Yeah, possibly. I mean, and the other thing about Boonwell is that his films were not these big studio productions per se. I mean, he never spent the kind of money that they spend on this film. But I kind of like that about this. Like, you know, we're talking about 75, so it's practical effects, really cool. Look, whatever you feel about the movie, the sets are amazing. The production design is awesome. So, like, I like that stuff. It just, um, it's just everything else that I had a problem with, really. Right. I, I mean, you know, again, I appreciate the the complete commitment to the craziness of this film. I can't say that I enjoyed watching it or that. It makes me change my thought on how uh, whether I want to watch more Ken Russell films, but I'm I'm glad that it exists and that it's out there. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about on the background of this film, Jason? Baba O'Reilly. 
<laughs> I don't think we none of us had seen this before, right? I had never mm. seen this, Josh. No. Actually, yeah. I'd never seen any Ken Russell movies before. Okay. Yeah. And D- Dave, you went on a mini Ken Russell marathon here before this, but had not seen Boy Yeah, Yeah, right? I sure did. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to doing more too. But uh yeah, I had only seen Tommy before this. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. you're you were ahead of Jason there. Yeah, I'd seen Tommy and uh Gothic and uh, altered states I had seen before this, none of which I care for, and uh, consistency. Honestly. Yeah, as you, as as you know, like uh, if I if I can, if I, if it's a new director or even someone that you know we've we've uh, or that I'm well aware of and have seen stuff before, I try to fill in some blanks here, you know, between uh, the episodes. So it's like, oh well, I saw this, maybe I could fit another one or two in. But I honestly don't think I had the energy to watch more Ken Russell movies before there after this one, dude. Yeah, they do. They do take a lot of energy. And uh, I, too, was thinking I might fill in a gap or two, but didn't have the time. I Maybe I will eventually. But like I said, it's clearly not the director for me. But we'll come back and get into more of our general thoughts on Listomania. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1975, we are talking about Ken Russell's flop, Listomania. Where to even start with this movie? (laughs) Probably with the opening shot where you see a metronome and then you see Roger Daltrey playing with his lover's breasts in rhythm to the metronome. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a different type of film. Yes, it certainly does not pretend to be something straightforward and historical and then like pull the rug out from under you. It is totally crazy from the beginning. Yeah. And I didn't mind like, I mean, again, like the first hour, I was kind of like fascinated by that. And like, you know, again, going back to Amadeus, right, which obviously you could say this influenced Amadeus in some ways, right, because of the relationship uh, here we have Wagner and um, and List, and there you had uh, Mozart and Salieri, right? And I kind of like that, like, framing device. But um, then, like you said, Josh, when it became about, like, Wagner as this, like, Nazi, you know, ubermensch or whatever, you know, this Nazi, you know, Hitler crazy person, it's like, I don't know, I don't know where the movie, why it had to go all the way to there. I don't know either, but, <laughs> but it did. Um, yeah, I mean, and I don't know. I feel like maybe I was less with it than you were, because to me, from the moment in that first scene where, so List is having an affair with this, the, with a Marie, Account's wife. Yeah. Right, who is the woman who eventually had his children and wrote this tell-all book about him, Marie Dagout. Um, and the Count comes in and catches them, and he's chasing List around the room with a sword. and there's this like country song that's being sung on the soundtrack about how List was sleeping with the Count's wife. And from that moment, I'm like, nope, I'm, I can't do it. This is not going to work for me. And so I, I think I knew it right from the start. I kind of had a suspicion from, from other Russell movies that I'd seen, but that was confirmed for me. And I was out at that point. Yeah, that for me, that music, of course, just made me want to watch Smokey and the Bandit again. <laughs> yeah. What if Ken Russell directed Smokey and the Bandit? How would that go? I don't, well, at some point when Sm- when Smokey's driving like a submarine under the Antarctic, I'd be like, I'm not sure how he's going to get the uh, alcohol to Georgia in time for this. Yeah. 
But I mean, I think that is also a moment where if you don't really know what's going, what you're getting into here, that that tells you right away that I feel like at that moment, if you're like, whoa, this is so crazy and cool. And I'm just like fascinated, then you'll probably enjoy this movie. And if you're like me, like, no, then then you're not going to turn around. On, yeah, on the film. Well, that sequence ends with like the count putting them both inside of a piano to be run over by a train, and it's like, okay, the drugs. Yeah, right. I, I, you know, we hadn't gotten to that, but I feel like we talked a lot about this in uh, was it our '77 season with like New York, New York, and stuff about uh, how much uh, cocaine had uh, <laughs> influenced the production of various films, and uh, you know, it's a quite possible to hear as well. <laughs> Of course, uh, you know, I mean, Marie and our friend Liz, they just wanted love to reign over them. Mm-hmm. Keep going with that. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to do it, Josh. I, I know. I know that you are. So, uh, yeah, I, I think in reality, Liz did not die by being trapped in a piano and run over by a train. Oh, I'm just going to no? guess on that. But I'm thinking that's probably the case. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would guess that. But then again. Uh, I can't say for sure if he flew down from heaven in a multicolored uh, rocket and also was able to right the world either. Probably not that as well. <laughs> yes, a multicolored rocket in the shape of uh, organ pipes, right, is what that is yes. at the end. That's that's the climax of the film is, is List returning from heaven to defeat Wagner with his organ pipe. Um, space Love pipe. rocket. Sure. Love Wait, Rocket. That's yeah. not right. That's Kiss. I take it back. <laughs> Man, what if there was a movie like this about Kiss? That would kind of, I might, I might want to see that, honestly. Yeah. You would rock and roll all night and party every day to that one. Um, the music, I think we got to talk about here. You know, Roger Daltrey's awesome. And um, I like the love theme of this thing, that one love theme song that is the theme song of love and love anyway it's rick wakeman from yes and roger daltrey and they're kind of uh uh riffing off of classical melodies from list and creating modern rock with it it'd be like if you hired vampire weekend to soundtrack something for you now maybe so are you saying that vampire weekend is the modern yes no vampire weekend's so much better than yes dude come on i don't know i don't i don't really listen to either of them but yeah, I mean, I think, though, having seen Tommy and, of course, you know, it, it's not just us making this comparison. Anyone at the time, all of the reviews that I read mentioned Tommy because it was a big hit that year just, you know, recently. Musically, there's no comparison. Like, Rick Wakeman is no Pete Townsend, right? Right. And who uh, who they said, uh, you know. That's who Russell originally wanted to do the music for this as well. But uh, he was pre pretty much burnt out from Tommy. Yeah, well, and that was a good call maybe to not do this. So, yeah, I mean, I love in the credits, it says like something like music by Rick Wakeman with assistance from Franz Liszt yeah. and Richard Wagner. <laughs> like they right, were hanging sure. out in the studio <laughs> with <laughs> Rick Wakeman, helping him out and making some suggestions. But yeah, they they sort of reinterpret those melodies and themes and then and Daltrey and Russell and, and one other person, I think, wrote the lyrics. These songs are terrible. I'm sorry. They're no good. And again, having, you know, compared to Tommy, which has these great iconic songs. And part of the problem with Tommy is that other people uh, besides Roger Daltrey, who are not good singers, sing some of those songs, but they're still really good songs. And these songs are no. 
Well, I think you make a good point, Josh, because it's like List is here and then Daltrey's here. And it's like, are we talking about my generation? I don't know anymore. So, Dave, why don't you talk about the music? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, I love this movie. And, you know, we'll get to that a little later. But um, I agree with Josh, though. Like, my only criticism of the movie, it only, like, that's how much I love this movie, is the music. I think that these songs just don't live up to the the excess of the rest of it. You don't think that one little love theme that they reprised was good? or It's fine. It's fine. But it it it, it could have been something that really stands out. It's just like, this is just this ridiculously epic you know, love ballad theme, you know? Hmm. Are you a, are you a yes fan, Dave? <laughs> not, not exactly. I don't even think I, I, I probably know some of their songs, but I don't really even know. Are you an owner of a lonely heart? Oh, okay. There you, there you go. Now we're just going to start naming yes songs. We're going to move on. <laughs> I could probably do like three or something. Yeah. yeah. Like that. <laughs> and that's from their later, like synth pop period, not from this excessive prog era that we're really in right here. Sure. Yes is pretty terrible. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't really have enough of a, a knowledge base on yes to to say I'm not huge on the prog rock necessarily, but I feel like prog rock is an easy punching bag. Yeah, and deservedly so. It sucks. <laughs> I don't like much prog rock. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I like some but, kind of proggy metal, but anyway, this is way off topic. No, but what is on topic for this movie, Josh? Anything? So yes. I think Dave said he loved it, and uh, he said later he'll tell us why. Dave, it's later. <laughs> we're we're ready, huh? Yeah, no, I I I loved everything about this movie. Other than that, like I I think it's just it's just this big, huge, insane metaphor for like the ego of of rock stars, uh, of like hero worship and pop culture, and just everything that feeds into this this whole system and cycle of putting these people up on like a pedestal and letting them live this like completely unrealistic life, and it's just. I think it's totally uh, Roger Daltrey making fun of himself. I think it's Ken Russell giving him a platform to do that. I, I think it's just so funny and so ridiculous. And you were talking about that opening sequence, like if you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. I was just like cackling at that point. I was like, this is so insane. I love it. Can you compare it to another movie that you also love that like this reminded you of? I, I can compare it to a bunch of movies, but I mean, you guys already brought up Babylon. I think it, it fits in with that really well. Uh, Josh and I covered Weird, the Al Yankovic story earlier uh, this year or last year. And uh, I, I think that that is absolutely trying to do the same thing that this does. Yeah, I don't know if you're referring to this, Jason, but I did notice on the little feature that Letterboxd has that that points out similar movies to stuff that the second movie on the list for this is The Room. <laughs> And, That's amazing. Uh, and I love the room. Right. Yeah. I know that you do. Yeah. I do too. But, uh, you know, Dave was talking about uh, Roger Daltrey poking fun at himself. I don't know about that, but I did find this quote where he says of List, he was a lot like me. He had this religious thing like me, but he still went lusting after women. I mean, <laughs> yes, that does come across in the, in this film. I mean, to me, though, whether Daltrey is making fun of himself or not, the pro part of the problem here, and this is the same thing with Tommy, is that he's not a good actor. I don't think he's bad. And in Tommy, he was uh, nominated for a Golden Globe for uh, Best Newcomer. But yeah, I agree. He's, he's not in Tommy. He's not a great actor. But I mean, if you look, he's actually got a you know substantial filmography there. And maybe he got better. I don't know. But I mean, to me, he's like he's a great rock star. He's a great singer. And he's got stage presence 
but as a as an actor, especially here where he's got to convey a lot of emotion. And, you know, because this movie is so abstract, I feel like if you're going to connect to List as a person, you know, the plot isn't really giving it to you. So you need the performance to do it. And it just doesn't. It's an eminence front. It's a put on. Jeez. Oh, see, now I'm getting we're getting to things that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> That's a great that. song. Is, that, is it called Eminence Front? Yeah. OK, yeah, I don't think I know that one. I'm running out, guys. I mean, maybe behind I, I blue eyes is left. I knew that you would. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's so much craziness in this film. I feel like we I mean, the giant penises alone could probably uh, warrant an entire podcast. I mean, the 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 and I think you certainly couldn't call this movie subtle, but there is like it maybe a gradual realization as uh when list goes to the like palace i guess uh it is of uh of princess carolyn who becomes then his his lover after marie and she traps him in this room with this this like fumigation and you, know, you realize okay these are butts that the fumigation is coming out of mm. and then he goes into her like chamber and you see these columns and I feel like it may be, maybe I was slow or whatever, but it takes like a few seconds to realize, oh, these giant columns are giant penises and mm. they're not drawing attention to it right away. And so it's like, okay, the penises are everywhere. And once you, once you first notice it, then, then you can't unnotice it. Hey, Josh, when you go to the mall and buy a penis, what's your favorite dipping sauce? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even want to like conjure up that image. <laughs> uh, this movie is just insane. And I think um, it goes from playful to a little too, you know, uh, downtrodden to very, uh, very downtrodden. And the less playful it gets, the less entertaining it gets. Yeah. I mean, what did you think of the, the political content of this film? What did you think of the political <laughs> content of this film? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think, again, part of the problem is that if it's making a political statement, like, it's so unclear so much of the time what is going on that you can't parse that. I mean, we get Wagner, right? I mean, by the end, it's it's not it's not subtle. The connection between Wagner and the Nazis is very, 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 very right. clear by the end. But at first, when you're leading up to that and you're getting events that actually did happen in Wagner's life, which, again, he died far, like decades before the rise of actual Nazis, right? But other things that did happen in his life, and there's a, some kind of revolution in Germany, and he's trying to hide out with lists, and people are after him. And again, just reading the Wikipedia summary, I was like, oh, okay, I couldn't even parse at that time, like, oh, they're in Germany, they're not in Russia anymore, or they're not in Hungary, or wherever the list was from. And Wagner is is part of this revolution, and there's a moment where it looks like Marie and uh, and List, two younger kids, have been killed in some kind of yeah. bombing. And all of that is so unclear that if there's some kind of statement being made about Wagner and his political actions during his life and how they were sort of precursors to Nazism, none of that comes across at all. And then it goes from that to like swastikas everywhere and Wagner rising from the grave dressed like Hitler and gunning down Jews with a little electric guitar machine gun. 
Yeah, it, it got a little uncomfortable. Also, uh, those Weezer t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily love those anymore. You it know, kind of <laughs> look like that. Yeah, I, I, to me, it looked like the Wonder Woman logo a bit. You know, yeah, a little bit like that too. Yeah. I, as far as all that political stuff, to me, and I don't know, maybe this wasn't the intention, but to me, this is like when you when you hear one of these like rock stars try to have political thoughts and ideas and they're just rambling on with nonsense this is this is capturing that so well i think <laughs> this is like that drug alcohol sex power fueled ramblings of of a rock star of what he thinks is going on in the world around him so do you think that russell wasn't trying to make any kind of real political statement with this film I think not political. No, I think it's more just about how uh, not twisted is the wrong word, but like just poisons, like the point of view of somebody in this kind of position is like where they're just so uh, out there. They've, they've lost the thread, you know? Uh, so anyway, even if he was, though, <laughs> I mean, he basically everyone like Dave, like you're saying he lost the thread, like everyone's saying he went so far off of whatever, you know, kind of track he was supposed to be on there that it's unclear what anything is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think if you say that he lost the thread, like Dave is saying that losing the thread is like the point. And I, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't quite buy into that. No, I agree. I agree with you. I think it's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I, Fair I enough. So. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I feel like that's a lot of, a lot of what, what he does is that it, it just sort of like, goes off it spins off in these various directions and you you know you can start out thinking like okay i see where this is going or what this movie is doing and then you just get lost after a while so is there anything you liked about this movie jason what i liked is what i told you uh the the production design the set design and the fact that this dude took a big swing it didn't work for me i don't uh like this movie very much but uh, i'm ready to rate it all right. I feel like maybe one one thing in this film that we we should probably mention related to the whole rock star thing is the presence of Ringo Starr as the Pope. Should we at least acknowledge Ringo here? Well, not just that, Josh. There was that wall of saints, right, where it was like you saw a picture of Pete Townsend and uh, Elvis and Elton John. Right. So I missed that. Oh, yeah. It was like, a, well, I missed some of the penises that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> but, so we're or or even there. But um. Yeah, I mean, Ringo, again, uh, has had plenty of, he's got a sizable filmography. I don't really think this showcases his ability as an actor. No. Not that I would know, to be honest with you. No, I mean, in his, his like, you look through that list, his filmography, and a lot of it is just like appearing as himself in cameos and documentaries and stuff like that. He's, I think, even less of an actor than, than Daltrey is. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think to me, when he shows up like that, it's it's gimmickry. And that's what this whole movie is, just a bunch of gimmickry. Uh, it is gimmicked out, buddy. Yeah. But hey, that could work sometimes. It just didn't work here. No. Well, at least not for us. So should we rate this out of uh, five giant penises? I mean, that seems sure. like the obvious one to pick. Or oh, penis yeah. guillotines, whatever you want, buddy. So. Yeah. Either I, way. I, I gave it two and a half just because it was such a crazy shot. Uh, upon reflection, it's probably two. I'm going to take away half a penis <laughs> guillotine or a penis from, a, but you know, right yeah, in penis, there, which is what you can create with the penis guillotine. R right. Hey yeah. You cut it off with that. Hey <laughs> I'm going to give it two as well. Like I do appreciate that it's a big swing, but I did not enjoy this experience at all. I didn't get anything really out of it. And it made me even less inclined to watch more Ken Russell films. So 
I can't give it more than than two giant penises. But here we go. Yeah, Dave has got penises galore. <laughs> oh yeah, a whole bunch of them. Four and a half from me. I love wow. this movie. Wow. Yep. Can't wait to go down even an even further rabbit hole of Ken Russell movies. Nice. So is this one of your favorite like older movies you've seen this year? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, this will probably be close to the top when we do our first time watches episode later this wow. year, Josh. Okay. Look forward to discussing it again. Did yes. you hear about Dave? Did you hear about the guy with five penises? No, his pants fit like a glove. <laughs> That's I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll come back and talk about the legacy of Listomania. <laughs> Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1975, we are talking about the flop Listomania from Ken Russell. And the legacy of this, I mean, although this movie was a flop, Ken Russell certainly continued to work steadily, including in some, you know, pretty well-known films of his and continued on his crazy path. I feel like sometimes what happens with these big swings, and this was a bit like with Michael Cimino when we talked about Heaven's Gate, is that when these directors try something big and it fails, then they have to step way back and make these kind of like small scale. Director's jail. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to have happened to Ken Russell at all. He made, I mean, Altered States, which is maybe his most famous film other than Tommy he made a few years after this and is easily as crazy as this film. Yeah, I haven't seen it, Josh. But Dave, you just watched it, didn't you? Yep, probably tied. I uh, loved it. So good. <laughs> and that movie has more of a, I mean, this 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 has a cult following, I guess, and, and some acclaim as we saw with those reviews, but is not as well regarded. Altered States is an absolute cult classic. And I remember watching that again and being like, what? I don't get this or like it, but it is a thing. And that's kind of how I felt about it. Mm, it's a thing. Now you see why he's uh, such an in-demand film critic. Yeah, that was what I wrote. That was my review. <laughs> um, Good review. Yeah, I mean, some other, like, after this, uh, Crimes of Passion, which, Dave, I know you watched that as well. That's on mm-hmm. uh, the erotic thrillers collection mm-hmm. on the Criterion channel right now. Almost as good. I loved uh, it, too. Wow. <laughs> David, Dave is a... A new Ken Russell fanboy, yeah. right? Oh, there. yeah. Um, I have seen Gothic, which is another one from the 80s that is also like sort of a crazy biopic. It's about Mary Shelley and uh, Percy Shelley and Lord Byron in that weekend when she created Frankenstein or, you know, uh, came up with the idea for, of Frankenstein. And another thing that starts is this sort of coherent movie about an artist and then just goes off into complete utter insanity um the lair of the white worm and whore those are a couple other uh, well-known later russell films uh he died in 2011 and and was you know kind of in obscurity a little with his work in his later career um he did get a, a best picture nomination at the golden globes in 1975 for tommy not for listomania and what about uh women in love that had a lot of academy award nominations yeah that's an earlier russell film and and certainly leading up to this and leading up to tommy he had a lot of acclaim and success i mean that's i'm sure one of the reasons why the who wanted him as their director for tommy well they got it <laughs> they did <laughs> and jason you haven't seen tommy but as we've established throughout this episode you clearly are a, either a fan of the who or a person who knows the names of a lot of who songs uh... would you watch tommy uh, yeah, and I would love to see the Who, you know, who still play here sometimes. Uh, because Josh, when I watched this one, I thought to myself, "Tell me who, who are you?" 
Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Tommy is. Listen to the album. <laughs> I, I was going to try to rewatch it for this, but uh, the last time I saw it was stoned at a midnight screening at Tropicana Cinemas. Shout out to Tropicana Cinemas. <laughs> yeah, and that seems like the ideal scenario in which to see it. So maybe or any Ken Russell ruin movie. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably yeah. so. I feel like every one of his movies is tailor made for that kind of midnight movie experience. Uh, the Devils is another earlier film of his that has a huge cult following and is kind of difficult to find out. It was on Shutter for a while, and a lot of people were were catching up with it. I didn't have a chance to do that yeah so there so for rick wakeman there were no uh there were no other musicals of uh of yes music that uh were made into film so though he did appear in thor as thor in this one not as thor in thor love and thunder that would have uh, been something <laughs> i mean mm -hmm. you know i don't put it past taika waititi but uh the dp peter sachitsky josh uh director of another cult classic from 75 the rocky horror picture show not the director director of photography for that and the empire strikes back that is quite quite a range there that that guy has um yeah rick wakeman as you said i mean he he wasn't really like he you know he continued to be a member of yes and off and on i mean that's one of these bands that's had like a million different people in its lineup and I think now, you know, there's all these versions where it's like the official yes. And there's like, yes, featuring so-and-so and they all compete on tour. And I think he's in one of those now. Uh, he did work with Ken Russell again. He wrote the music, the film score for Crimes of Passion. So how was the music in that one, Dave? Uh, equally all over the place, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> passionate, Josh. It was passionate music. Yeah. Fair enough. We mentioned David Putnam, the legendary producer who was once the head of Columbia. He did okay after this, Josh. Chariots of Fire, Local Hero, The Killing Fields, and uh, this wasn't his own, only bomb. He did have Ishtar in there once, nice. too. Nice, yeah. But what I liked is he produced uh, both Ridley Scott's and Adrian Lin's, uh, Lyons' first movies, The Duelists and Foxes. I mean, I like that because that, that shows that he's somebody who's willing to take risks on auteurs and things like that. This wasn't the only time or whatever. I feel like, too, a lot of times with these with these flops, you read about how it's like the director taking these bigger and bigger swings and producers trying to rein them in. But from what I read, like Putnam was all for like the big swing. He was encouraging Ken Russell to go even crazier with this movie. I don't know how he could have. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Roger Daltrey, as we said, has had an acting career. It's a lot of kind of spotty, small parts and stuff like that. I don't know that I've seen him as an actor in anything else, although, you know, he he's worked pretty steadily over the decades, of course, still far better known for his uh, music as the. the well, I would who... think so. I mean, that's one of the <laughs> yeah. most important bands of all time for a proto punk, Josh. I just saw him in a movie, by the way, if oh, looks yeah? could kill with Richard Grieco. Mm. <laughs> How was he in that? Oh, he's great. Yeah, I want to see uh, the Paul McCartney film "Give My Regards to Broad Street," where Ringo Starr plays a fictionalized version of himself. Yeah, that's. All, I think that's also kind of a notorious failure. That film. I don't know what year that is, but maybe we can get to another uh, big rock star flop. Well, that's what I was uh, saying. Like, uh, I mean, we know Lady Gaga star is born recently. Uh, she's on the upswing as a actress. She'll be in the new Joker film, but. Uh, you have it, and I, I think Bette Midler obviously is one of those like uh, ingenues who can do anything. Do you have any favorite uh, musicians in acting? Well, I mean, we talked about like in our 1953 season, Frank Sinatra, for example. You know, in in From Here to Eternity, and I think he was someone who acquitted himself really well in a long acting career, but is so iconic as a singer that a lot of times people forget he even had an acting career, but was a really solid actor. 
I agree. Dave? Yeah, that, that's such a good question. And I don't like have an answer prepared. I mean, I always like when Common shows up in something, the rapper. I, I think he's like a good actor that should get more roles. Yeah, I feel like for whatever reason, the rappers turned actors tend to do better than yeah. like rock singers. And I don't know why that is. Well, I mean, I know, Josh, one of your favorite movies is Moonstruck, which Cher won an uh, yes. uh, Oscar yeah. for. So, yeah, uh, Cher yeah. is another one who didn't have a huge acting career. And I remember watching Moonstruck for the first time and thinking she is so good in this. Why didn't she act more? And I, you know. She's share. She can do whatever she wants. But right. I think, you know, you look at the 70s and there are people like Chris Christopherson and, you know, that's always good. And I like Tom Waits as an actor, too. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think it's it's fun to see some of these people. And, you know, someone like Chris Christopherson, who, you know, to bring up Heaven's Gate again, we talked about there. Uh, you know, he's not necessarily the best actor, but but people like this. I feel like two of these these rock stars, they if they're famous before being actors that they can come on and just be kind of weird presences and people will accept it as opposed to an actor who starts that way. And it's harder to kind of make headway like that. I don't know if that's true or not. I guess the most uh, current person would be someone like Zendaya who like, you know, is I think you think of her more as an actress now than you would as a musician. Yeah. I don't know when the last time Zendaya put out like an album or anything like that, but, but she did have, have that parallel career as well. And I called her Zendaya. See kids, I'm hip. I think you're wrong though. <laughs> that, that was the point. Josh. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you were saying you were hipper than me. Cause you got it right. Anyway, <laughs> apologies to Zendaya. Yeah. We like her. She's yes. good. So. Um, you you talked about you mentioned the Ringo Starr's role in that Paul McCartney movie. Uh, one one other sort of notorious thing was his starring role in the film Caveman, in which he plays a caveman. That sounds great. All right, you know, uh, Josh. There's a lot of uh, we talk about like directors who use like their own ensemble. Uh, Murray Melvin, Andrew Falds, Kenneth Colley, um, You know, all guys who appeared in multiple Russell movies are in this one. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the supporting players in this film, not super well known. I mean, I did look at people like like Sarah Kestelman, who plays Princess Carolyn and and Paul Nicholas, who plays Wagner here, you know, who had steady careers. Paul Nicholas is a big stage uh, actor and producer. And uh, both of those people in a lot of smaller roles in, in TV and film, but but not big stars you know along way the, the way the rock stars are in this film and we should mention that heinrich hein was the writer who came up with the term listomania yes listomania of course an actual term from franz Liszt's era that described the the crazy fandom the frenzy yes around indeed. franz Liszt. yeah um the other thing i thought of as a legacy here was any kind of biopic of a famous artist or just a famous person that uses a lot of this like kind of surreal imagery or anachronisms. I thought about Todd Haynes's film, I'm Not There, about Bob Dylan, or even Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. So, I mean, are there any films like that that you think of, Jason, or that you enjoy? Uh, that's a good That's a good question. I do like Marie Antoinette a lot. Um, I mean, you know, I didn't love Elvis, but I think Elvis is the, uh, the most uh, current comparison to this one. Yeah, and I didn't see that because, I mean, I think maybe it makes sense that I you know, if I dislike Ken Russell films, I tend not to like Baz Luhrmann films either. So I haven't gotten to Elvis, but I mean, this genre is so uh, Dave and I talk about this a lot on the trailer episodes because there seems to be like a new musical biopic every month. And this genre is so terrible. Like, I don't think they even try anymore. It's just like insert pop song, create fake conflict, 
um, and then just play more pop songs. Like it's not even a movie anymore. It's just, you know, karaoke with uh, some scenes in between. Yeah. I mean, as much as I didn't like this, I feel like I'd rather see more movies like this than more movies like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I would say so. You know, I mean, and now we've gotten to the point like where it's like, and I haven't seen the Whitney Houston one, but I remember like, uh, I, even when we covered the trailer, it was like, no, Whitney, if you want to sing, you got to find a hook to your song. It's like, well, yeah, everyone's got to find a hook to the song. That's the part of the song. Yes. The hook brings you back, as Blues Traveler would say. Yeah. Can't wait for their biopic. I, I'm ready for it because I can do that whole breakdown in hook. Let's not do that. <laughs> Let's uh, close out here. Uh, is, is there anything else on the legacy of, of this that you want to talk about, Jason? Josh, uh, this was a no. No. <laughs> Can I throw a quick thing in real quick before Please we wrap do. up? Not, not specifically to this movie, but to Ken Russell. Uh, we famously covered Space Jam on this podcast a while back. And if you remember in the recent Space Jam, A New Legacy, the, the X-rated movie, The Devils from Ken Russell, one of those nuns was in the crowd of Space Jam, A New Legacy, along with all those other Warner Brothers IP characters. Yeah, I remember people talking about that. That was so weird. It almost seemed like it was somehow a mistake yeah. or something. Like they just uh, <laughs> grabbed stuff from a bunch of movies. Because as I was saying, like that's that movie is not accessible. Like even Warner Brothers is not, they're not putting it out on DVD or on their streaming services or anything. So it's such a weird thing to be in there. But a, a point of pride for Ken Russell, who is... <laughs> Dead. I do want to say, Josh, at one point, this group was talking about doing a, a biopic on Gershwin starring Al Pacino in the 70s. And, you know, if, I mean, dude, come on. Why not? Yeah. yeah, I think that was the next one that they had planned in that series of composer biopics that this killed. And I'm sure that would have been just as crazy and probably interesting to watch. So that is Listomania, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Compose something for us uh, online and on social media. Yeah, and uh, if you're Rick Wakeman, you can say hi to us still. You know, sure. whatever. So we're at AwesomeMovieYear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jay Harris Comedy or Jason Harris Comedy on all the socials. Uh, I have uh, also Eat This Comedy as an Instagram and a uh, website. And of course, go for Jason, the website, not doing well at all, but go for Jason on Letterboxd is like a, the who's greatest hits, Josh. You just want to keep going back for more. Yes, indeed. Uh, some stuff for me at joshbellhateseverything.com, including something I wrote about Tommy a while ago, but not much new things there. Uh, Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook, at Signal Bleed on Twitter, and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And if you want to follow along with all of my letterbox reviews where I give four and four and a half stars to every Ken Russell movie, it's <laughs> by David Rosen. Jason, what do we have in our next episode? Josh, we are going to the Cannes Film Festival 1975. Hey, you like crazy? Guess what? We got Werner Herzog for you. <laughs> the enigma of Casper Hauser. I look forward to more crazy in next episode. Tune in for the enigma of Casper Hauser. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.